Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next two hours are devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, as my bride insists I say, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded, willing to challenge some of those old ideas behind what we think we know and who we might become. In today's episode, we're going to once again examine how we break through self-imposed limitations, limitations that hold us back, keeping us stuck when there is so much more that we may want to experience in our lives. We will examine the questions, who we are, where we want to be, and how we can go about accomplishing that objective. And once more, we'll use the real-life story of a famous and successful person to help us map our path. So the question, how did I get where I am and how do I get where I want to be, becomes our central inquiry in this episode of Breaking Limitations. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is a Provocative Enlightenment Special Investigation. All right, our chat room is open, and my partner Ravinder awaits you there now. You can log on by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Okay, Rav, it's time for you to tell us all about your chat room and why everyone should join you there. Well, hello, everyone. And first of all, I want to say I don't insist on the shoes and ships and sealing wax, but it does get my tickle button every time you say it. You know, I have no idea why, except the first time I ever heard you use that, I was thinking of the wrong kind of sealing the sealing wax. I was thinking, what is sealing wax? Why do you have <laughs> wax on the ceiling? I didn't know that. <laughs> so maybe that's why I just crack up every time you say it. So I just enjoy it. So that's just the way it is. Do come join us in the chat room. Uh, we can carry on the conversation about silly sealing wax, if you like. Or actually, we have great conversation. We're already discussing today's subject matter in there right now. So uh Lots of information. That is at provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Love to see you there. All right. Every week we feature a spotlight segment. And this week's spotlight of the week, we're examining the idea of creativity. One of the most interesting things you will ever observe in nature is the creative force driving all life. Uh, you know, present a problem to a small child or to an animal. And then watch how they go about figuring out solutions. You know, I, I just think back on my life, and, and I can remember when I ran, literally ran my right arm through a washing machine ringer, climbing up on it while it was operating, trying to reach the cookie jar, which was on the counter behind it. So you acquired your brain's wet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, right. put, put some cookies or a food reward just out of reach and watch the cleverness that manifest. Thank you very much. <laughs> the simple fact is this. We are creative beings with a believing brain. Our brains are designed in such a way that we expect to find all sorts and matters of things that we can believe. Our survival, indeed, depends on our ability to believe. We must depend on our ability to survive, on the, on the laws of nature, and so on. We are certain that gravity will not suspend its regularity and one day just float us up for fun. If we, if we didn't have these beliefs, if we didn't have this certainty, we couldn't proceed. 
So our believing brain fundamentally believes that we are able to solve problems, and if we cannot find a solution, we can at least find a workaround. Creativity is therefore an integral aspect of the architecture of our brains. Many will tell you that learning is about memorization, names, dates, places, the so-called who, what, where, when, and why. While this form of learning may be important to passing examinations in school, it rarely is necessary to become successful in life. Indeed, one could argue that a certain absence of knowledge can be an advantage when it comes to some forms of creativity. Take, for example, uh, the journalist William Sawyer, who you know was totally scientifically untrained, was a hobbyist inventor, and he developed the first carbon filament for light bulbs, something metallurgists said couldn't be done. There are innumerable homeschooled, self-taught, or just school dropouts uh, whose innovations and inventions and our personal successes have changed our world. The likes of uh, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg, Howard Hughes, John D. Rockefeller, Ted Turner, and so on. What is it that these people all had in common if it wasn't a college degree? They all shared a special ability that comes packed with a human tool we call a brain. This ability, surprisingly, is one that is natural and acts automatically until it is suppressed. We come into the world full of curiosity. We examine everything, including our own thesis, and we can be thorough, including what's it taste like. Soon... You remember when you did that, huh? I never did. I never did. I was a good girl. Soon we're corrected for investigating things, warned of hidden dangers, taught to follow accepted procedures of inquiry, and so forth, all in an effort to control our behavior. Perhaps this is appropriate when we are very young. Perhaps it serves to keep us safe, but it often fails to serve us later in our lives. What is creativity but curiosity after all? How does this or that work? Why these proportions or this ratio? What would happen if... And the questions never cease. Anyone who has ever spent some time around young children can tell you about their endless what, how, and why questions. The real question then for you is this. When did you last ask those kinds of questions? If you're like most, it's been some time since you allowed your curiosity to run wild. Unfortunately, to the precise extent that you reign in curiosity, you throttle back creativity. Now, some may simply ask at this juncture something like, uh, So what? I have a good job. My relationships are working. I enjoy my routine. Uh, What do I need curiosity or creativity for? It's not like I have some problem to solve. Sounds like my princess. Well, fair enough. I think but, but how about considering this? The difference between a good life and a fabulous life can be as simple as one act of creativity. One idea that changes the world. Think of those folks we mentioned just a few paragraphs ago. Where is the world today without the creativity of Steve Jobs? How much is the creativity of Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates impacted your life? How often do you catch a cable news channel thanks to the creativity of Ted Turner? And on and on it goes. Not only did these people enhance their lives with their creativity, but the lives of the entire world were impacted. There are many memories my children have 
that arise from stories I have shared with him, making them up, if you will, as I go along. Sometimes it's a scary story you tell as you drive along some pitch-dark, seemingly long-forgotten country road, something we do pretty regularly headed into our own ranch. There are the many creative ways we find to guide our children, and then there are the wonderful opportunities we all have that arise from the simple solutions to the regular, everyday household problem. Something as ordinary as cooking offers multiple chances to be creative. Indeed, for many, the way in which they assemble their wardrobe shows off their creativity on a daily basis. The foods you choose to eat and the habit patterns you have around those that's something we'll be discussing today that our guest will will bring some new creative levels to. The next time you sit down to your computer, think about this. Most people no longer learn how computers work. Instead, they learn how to work computers. Following along with some operational manual, learning how to use function keys, operating systems, and the like may be valuable, but it's not truly creative. Now, that said, if you apply your creative juices and work out some new way to do things with your computer, then that is creativity. How much of our lives is spent learning how to use the creativity of others versus applying our own creative energies to new and yet undiscovered possibilities? Creativity is essential in the bedroom as well. Isn't it, dear? I submit that when you eliminate blue, okay. I submit that when you eliminate creativity from your life, or severely limit it for that matter, you produce boredom. So the bottom line, the real takeaway is this creativity enhances all aspects of our lives. If you wish to change your personality, change your life, or write the next Harry Potter series, think of the creativity involved to do so. Enhancing your creativity is not only essential for unmasking your hidden talents, but it's also pure, simple fun. About as much fun as this conversation. So what are your thoughts on creativity, Ravinder, particularly in the bedroom? I'm going to leave the bedroom out of it. I'm an old-fashioned girl, okay? I I I think the whole idea of creativity is fascinating. I'd always thought about creativity... As, as it relates to the arts, you know, um, painting and music and that kind of stuff. I really hadn't thought about the simple problems we try to solve, like as the kids are growing up and uh, they want to get into the refrigerator, so we use our creativity to you devise buy a, a big lock. bicycle padlock. <laughs> we have never done, that down. <laughs> we have done all of those, but I do think the creative part, you know, if when you expand creativity the way that you have, to encompass, you know, it's problem solving, it's, uh, you know, in the kitchen when you're cooking, you, you know, have a slight variation on a recipe and stuff like that. But when you allow your creativity to flourish, I think that's when you become truly human. You maximize the human experience. It brings a whole different dimension and a spiritual connection in the process. I think you're absolutely right. It's fun, besides. Okay. Every week I read some of your letters as our way of paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Last week, our guest was Suze Casey, and we addressed the idea of belief repatterning. 
Uh, Cammy wrote, we need more people like Susan Eldon willing to help us be honest with ourselves so we can really change. So many people just tell you what you want to hear. Eleanor wrote, love the show with Suze Casey. I listen to her show all the time, but I heard some new information that really clicked with me. I like how Eldon and Suze connected. Changing our childhood programs just makes sense. Kathy noted at the I Can Do It in Pasadena, I took Eldon's class and Denise Lynn's, and they were both so complimentary about going back and reprogramming and returning to the past and essentially changing it in the mind. I had never heard that before, and it really resonated with me and helped. Emily wrote, I use your Intertalk CDs to help me rewrite my childhood. I have your Healing from Invalidation and Healing the Child Within CDs, and they have been very helpful. Thank you for all you do. Renetta wrote, I have purchased several of your CDs for my family, and we have seen good results. My daughter has improved her testing scores with a positive education exam CD and looks forward to listening to the CD for positive sports performance. Amy wrote, I can't tell you how much your book, Choices and Illusions, helped me. It has to be the very best book someone could possibly read if they want to really discover the things that hold them back and learn about how they can release the old and empower the new. Thank you for what you do. Jill wrote, Mind programming blew my mind. I never knew how deep the hole went. I knew we were indoctrinated in ways, but to the extent it happens, everywhere is shocking. The exercises you provide in the book are incredible as well. I am now reading your new choices and illusions and finding it just as riveting. Please keep me informed when your next book is released. Well, that's a deal. I'll do just that, Jill, and thanks for your feedback. Okay, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today, but I do invite you to opine by sending your email to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com. That's E-L-D-O-N at EldonTaylor.com. Or by joining me on Facebook. We can't get all of your letters on the air, but they do impact our programming. And once again, I both appreciate and thank you for your feedback and continued support. Now to this week's show, a special episode of our Breaking Limitations series. Breaking Limitations was originally designed to be a telecourse or webinar, but the interest was so keen that we decided to make it available as a worldwide radio broadcast. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and airs on many networks. For more information about that, just visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. All right, this week's special episode of Breaking Limitations features Julie Danilock, and she is indeed a standout leader and teacher. Nutritionist Julie Daniluk hosts Healthy Gourmet on the Oprah Winfrey Network, a reality cooking show that highlights the ongoing battle between taste and nutrition, as unique groups such as bikers, dragon boat racers, ballroom dancers, all challenge their taste buds with nutritious foods. Julie is a health expert for the Maryland Dennis Show and has appeared on numerous TV and radio shows, including the Dr. Oz Show. After four years of rigorous theater arts training, Julie found herself reading more about nutrition than about Shakespeare. She had an insatiable appetite for figuring out how and why foods affect us so profoundly. She returned to school to become a nutritionist, graduating from the Canadian School of Natural Nutrition and becoming a cooperative owner of one of Canada's largest health food stores, the Big Carrot Natural Food Market as well as health editor for Viva Magazine, a natural health publication with a circulation over 120,000 coast-to-coast. Julie's food activism has led her to speak to Parliament about the potential health risks of genetically modified food. And in order to bring food advocacy issues to a wider audience, Julie has been the event producer 
for biodiversity and Food Shares Field to Table Festival. Julie's search for nutritional understanding has taken her around the world and provided her one of her greatest joys today, cooking on Greenpeace's tall sailing ship, Rainbow Warrior, doing its GE-free New Zealand tour. Now, Julie has been a guest on Provocative Enlightenment 4, and she has already informed my office of her three most important songs. Here is her first. There you go. Oversize this and oversize that. Okay, on that, let's get her in here. Welcome back to Provocative Enlightenment, Julie Daniluk. Hello. I am so thrilled you invited me back. I'm so honored. You're just amazing, and I can't. I'm pinching myself that I get to talk to you. Well, you're the amazing <laughs> one. You know, I, I think I can guess why that song is an important part of your life, because, you know, I do know a little bit about you. We have, you know, chatted at some length. But for our listening audience, uh, you know, that's a surprising song for most people to be thinking of a life song. What, what, what's that all about? What's the connection? Well, really, it, it speaks to the fact that um, so many people get high. They're always they're always in search of the next big high because they're not really comfortable in their own skin and every day is is what what can I do to feel better or different than who I am right now and I know that I used to be that person I mean if I really look back into um, my teen years I was quite troubled and I used to chase one adrenaline seeking activity to the next sugary chocolatey treat and um it's truly when I was able to find that stillness and practice some of the things that you, you teach, like, you know, really embracing how can we calm ourselves and heal our, ourselves from the inside out and trust our intuition, um, that yeah. I was able to, to move away from this, um, getting high for a living and moving into uh, a place of, of being real for a living, being authentic for a living, and, and with that, acknowledging that there will be natural um, highs and lows in life, but that you feel uh, real and, and feel settled within the moment, which is, is such a gift, for sure, instead of just uh, chasing that artificial high. Gotcha. Now, I'm going to take you down memory lane here in just a little bit, but I, I have to ask you this first, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, when we were in Pasadena last, you were in the neighboring room right next door to me giving a presentation. When I heard a real outburst explored from you, I mean, it just yells and screams took off. I mean, what kind of revival meeting are you holding, woman? (laughs) Well, I really love to get people to participate and explore what's going on for them. So I'm often asking them to uh, really delve delve into their food addiction, to delve into their, their personal feelings, to express to the person next to them uh, what's really going on for them. So I think what you were really tapping into is one of our very fun and connected moments where I kind of say, hey, you know, 
Talk to the person next to you. What do you crave? What's your biggest craving? Can we crawl inside that craving and really dismantle it together by getting to the root of why it's happening in the first place? So that's so awesome to hear that we were raised in the house in Pasadena because I absolutely love um, anything to do with Hay House and so grateful that we get to reach such an amazing live audience. Uh, it's true. It's very true. You know, I, I, the reason I asked you that question is I talked to some of the people that came out of that uh, presentation of yours. And, of course, I, you know, you and I chatted uh, before the presentation. You take the ordinary things. I mean, to me, I guess I'm a guy, all right? And, and it's a cookbook. And, you know, how excited can you really get about cooking, you know? Um, you know, maybe if you're a chef, you get really excited. But... But to me, you know, it's not it's it's not a thriller. It's not you know, it's not a science book. It's and yet everyone that experienced how you teach what you teach was so engaged, so excited that I came back and read your book cover to cover. Wow. Uh, you know, you you really bring some magic to this entire thing. You're about to say something. Ravinder. I was going to say, yeah, cookbooks are exciting. I've actually got Julie's book sitting on the table right beside the sofa and when you guys are watching something that doesn't interest me I'm picking it up and I'm speed reading part of it and I've got certain recipes already tagged and the ginger tea that we have every night comes directly from Julie's recommendation and I found it invaluable so thank you very much Julie oh I'm so honored guys and I'm completely touched and and inspired that you guys would choose uh, to really take a look at this book. I know it took five years to write it, and it's packed full of science. I think I think the difference, um, it's not just a cookbook. It's the fact that the front of the book really details why we are in pain. Why do we have inflammation? Right. So inflammation is, whether it's the heat, the swelling, the redness, the, um, the loss of function, or the pain that you might be experiencing. Underneath the symptoms of that are causes of inflammation, and I try to address those core causes and then help to really match up the foods that will address those causes. So whether you have an infection or whether you have an injury, what are the power foods that can actually switch off that inflammatory response and, and really bring you back into balance? So I know that it's worked really well for me. I've, I've, I've finally reached uh, a full level of vitality that I didn't, I didn't think was possible after such a serious, uh, serious bout of inflammatory disease. And now I just can't believe the flooding, amazing testimonials for people who are, I, I just, just the other day I had a woman teary-eyed in one of my workshops come up to me afterwards and say, you know, I'm finally in remission. I, I don't have symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis anymore, and, I, and I, I, I can't believe I could be pain-free from simply avoiding big inflammatory triggers and embracing these anti-inflammatory foods. And so that just that obviously is my life purpose. I just feel so lit up in order to to raise the, the vibration of, of every person's vitality on this planet. And if, if we can all for that game, that's why your radio show is so important. I am so grateful you guys have gone to a long format. It's so cool to have two whole hours to have this engagement time with people because then we can get out the true stories and the true Well, you know, that's part of what makes your book as good as it is. It, it is, it, you don't just write it, uh, 
you know, as a fact of the matter, you, you tell it in a story form that is it's engaging. It's actually, you know, a bit like a mystery story from time to time. But you have a new book coming. I and, do. And I understand the new book, um, you know, it, it's a product in part of what you've learned from the testimonials of people coming back to you as a result of of what you've done with your earlier work. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want to steal the thunder, and, and we, but, and we have a break coming up here. So I'm going to ask you when we come back about the book because I understand that one of the products or byproducts of following your program can be weight loss. Yeah. So we'll come back to that. We'll pick that up after the break. We're speaking with Julie Daniluk about her books, life, and work. Remember to join Ravinder and her team in the chat room. You can do that by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Do stay tuned. You don't want to miss what's coming up after a few words from some of our friends. Do you feel like you've become lost in a funhouse? Only seeing the reflection of yourself, past, future, and present, but unable to find the real you? I invite you to step through the doorway and onto the path leading to understanding of your mind, your choices, and the influences that surround you. Read Elton Taylor's New York Times best-selling book, Choices and Illusions. Now expanded, updated, and revised, it will provide you with real-life examples of how you can break free from your current perceptions and begin your journey to how high is up. Get your copy today from all bookstores or online from Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. And welcome back. To everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season, turn, turn, turn. And a time to every purpose under heaven. A time to build up, a time to break down, a time to dance, a time to mourn, a time to cast away stones. If you just joined us, we're speaking with Julie Daniluk about her books, life, and work. Now, we just played some of Turn, Turn, Turn by the Birds. Uh, Another song you have on your list, Julie, is being particularly important. So, tell us, I mean, how is this important to you? Um, Just that to everything in life there is a season i just i just love that and and i you know where that um song appears that is closest to my heart is is forrest gump and this concept that you can uh walk through our 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 lifetime and and as long as you are loved and and really putting love into the world um you are uh, really on purpose so i just want everyone to remind themselves that that there is a season for everything, and, and the biggest season that we're moving into right now is a season of healing. Um, I'm amazed at the waking up and the conscious building that's happening right now. People are really starting to realize that food plays a major trigger for their consciousness. You know, it's, it's a point of impact. Everything that we take into our mouths becomes the cells in our body, and that's why I think nutrition is becoming exciting for people. 
where before they would sort of disregard it as, bah, that's boring. Now people are going, hold on a second, how can it be boring if, that, if what we eat actually becomes every single part of us? And so I, I really see an emergence of, of even great speakers um, like Dr. Wayne Dyer, who really believes in mind over matter, and yourself who really embraces the fact that you can reprogram your mind with, with uh, beautiful empowerment tools. I agree with all of that. And as we, as we, as we pull those tools into the practical sense and empower ourselves to nourish ourselves with amazing nutrition, then we have just such powerful results. We have such, we, we, we catapult ourselves with high octane fuel to what we really want in our life. I love that. I like that. That's a nice twist. And, you know, for what it's worth, uh, we can talk all about the power of the mind, and it it is awesome. It is absolutely incredible. But, you know, it operates basically in in an organ we call the brain, and Mm -hmm. the brain is dependent upon nutrition, uh, just as the other organs of the body are. There are very definite nutritional requirements, or, or shall we say there are food supplements even that you can take that enhance cognitive ability, that, that you know. So, so it's just as critical to mind power as it might be to muscle power, and, yeah. you know, in the different sense. All right, before we went to break, mm-hmm. you uh, were about to tell us about your new book. Uh, do do that, will you? I am so excited to share Slimming Meals That Heal, how you can lose weight without dieting using anti-inflammatory superfoods. Give us I really the title feel again. that diets are a food prison and that they don't work because people are on that prison, they're in that prison sentence for only, what, 20 days, 40 days, however long that you can withstand the restriction. Instead of dieting, can we move into an empowerment place where we keep putting in the foods that remove the pain, the irritation, the injury from our system, and also uh, address the metabolic disorders, the hormonal imbalances that are really underneath the reason why certain people uh, have, have such a tough time losing weight. I mean, why do some people, they can eat 4,000 calories a day and they're thin, and other people can eat a thousand calories a day, and and struggle to lose weight. And and a large part of it is because I don't believe that it's just calories in, calories out. I don't feel that counting calories works at all. I really think we have to look at how are these foods interacting with our hormonal system, and if we can reduce the allergic load, get rid of the inflammation, and really switch on the metabolism by getting our thyroid working correctly once our gut has healed and our adrenals are back online. You, you are amazed at how the weight falls off without effort. And I, I really did create this book because um, even though people were not necessarily following the Meals That Heal plan to lose weight, they, I was getting these testimonials back, Julie, I've lost 50, 75, 100 pounds, but I never intended to. I'm so thrilled because it's a side benefit that I really, really needed. I was just looking to get rid of my knee pain or my you know, my gut pain, but in fact, they, they lost the weight naturally and gradually, and they reached their vitality weight, not necessarily the Hollywood starlet weight, but their weight that their body really wants them to be at in order to run efficiently. Okay. I, I want to get into all of that. We're going to get 
deep into your book and your teachings, etc. But our goal here is to develop first a clear picture as to how the truly helpful and successful people in life have gained the successes that they have. In doing this, we attempt to trace a path that leads from where you were to where you are today. So, beginning along that line, please tell us about your early years. What was school like for you? Were you popular, a member of a group, a loner? How do you see yourself now looking back on it? Um, Well, it's really interesting. I I actually was... uh a bit of a, a whirling dervish when I was a little kid. <laughs> you can assess my hyperactivity. But I uh, certainly had a classic attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Um, my mother was encouraged to put me on Ritalin uh, as a very young child, and she completely uh, disregarded the popular belief that Ritalin was a good idea. And she good. found the work of Dr. Feingold, who wrote the book Your Hyperactive Child back in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. And she uh, heard him on the radio, uh, very similar to, to you, where, where um, you just access people that you, you have no idea um, with the impact that you make on a regular basis. I'm sure you're, you absolutely do, but I just can't believe that my mother heard one radio show about this work and said, that's it, I'm going to try my daughter on this special diet for hyperactivity and see if it helps her. So she removed all artificial food, all artificial dyes, and white sugar from my diet as a child. And my grades literally went from D's to straight A's. And my incredible emotional uh, shift, I went from teary to cheerful. I was able to sleep through the night for the very first time. And I was able to, to truly find uh, the joy and the, and the um, focus needed to become a successful person. And, and I'm so grateful to my mom that at seven years old, she made this brave decision. It meant making my own treats. She would actually make fudge for me that was free of all of the, the, the harmful ingredients, or granola bars. Or She actually turned my butter at one point because she thought that there was dye in the butter because it actually said color on the butter packet. Mm-hmm. I mean, she just went to such great lengths, and I owe her the world because I think at that very critical time at seven, it, it, it implanted in me that food really does make a massive difference in the quality of your life. And so that really set the trajectory for me becoming a nutritionist for a living and having the belief system that it could heal. And then I, I went on to have a real battle with food in my teens because I knew that if I stuck with the broccoli and the, and the amazing uh, lentils and all those healing foods, I felt great. But unfortunately, there was this sort of pull in my teen years, a real battle with emotional foods, where I would sneak ice cream or sneak chocolate. And that unfortunately led me to a major eating disorder. I, I have to confess that I did have bulimia in my teens. And thank goodness I found uh, a great therapist who was able to give me some tools to reprogram my belief system around my body and, uh, and around beauty and around my ability to assert myself in the world. And I was able to uh, use food again as healing. So instead of going on um, any sort of strict program, I had to let myself out of food prison. I had to let go of the need to control. I needed to forgive myself for my craving and embrace uh, delicious healing foods that also satisfied my palate, that also made me feel special, that also gave me a treat, 
that's why my new book, So Many Meals That Heal, Heal. So Many Meals That Heal is packed full of things like chocolate and, and delicious crumbles and ice creams and puddings because you need to have that comfort food. But I'm delivering them with ingredients that actually heal your, your system um, so that you can have it all. Because I think if we, if we cut ourselves off, then we're, we're not going to be able to do it as a life, uh, a real limit, a real lifestyle shift. We're just going to feel like we're on yet another diet, and, and that just ends, right? So I, I, I'm really so, um, oh, I'm so ready to come out of the closet. I, I honestly, as a nutritionist, stood on, you know, the, the pedestal of nutrition and said, you have to eat this way and that way for many years. And now I realize that's not authentic. That's not real. What people need to hear is the compassion that we all have cravings, that we're all going to have these moments where we're very tempted and you have to forgive yourself and move into a place of what works for both your, your, your palate and your mind. What can satisfy um, both your heart, your body, your soul, so that everything is taken care of. And, and that's where you find peace. All right, let me, let me ask you this. Let's, you know, I mean, you, that's quite a big chunk. And I'm going to unpack part of it, okay? Mm-hmm. So you're seven years old, and your mother goes to all this extra effort, and goodness gracious, bless her, because that's incredibly uh, brave. And, uh, you know, most people probably did cop out and just go with Revelin at that point in time. But <clears throat> how did you feel when all of a sudden you couldn't eat the foods that everybody else was fee- uh, eating? Uh, did you have a problem with dealing with that as a child? Yes, I did. I'm not going to lie. It was it was really challenging. There was times when I was sneaking Twizzlers behind my mom's back, like sneaking liquors and sneaking chocolate bars. Um, it was really challenging, for sure. I mean, as she developed more and more delicious recipes, it got easier. And I think the biggest thing was the feedback, the fact that when I was on a detoxifying, beautiful healing program, and my mind was working and I was calm and happy. Um, I, I really got a sense of what worked. And then when I would binge and have something that really hurt me, I would pay for it for about 24 hours. And that is, is something that I just want people to try on for themselves. Don't believe me. Don't, don't believe the words on the page. But instead, try it on for yourself. Suspend your disbelief long enough to actually give it a try. And then in a few weeks when you're starting to feel better, then you'll actually believe it for yourself, and that's when it becomes a live-it versus a diet. But you must give yourself treats, and that's one thing that I really learned in, in high school years is that because I was sort of getting too strict, that's what often triggered my outburst with food. So I, I really believe that you have to go um, on, a, on a moderate path and give yourself enough calories, give yourself enough deliciousness, so that you don't feel cut off from from uh, that comfort and cut off from that special, oh, I, I get this treat and it's just for me and it's so wonderful. Um, I think we're really lucky to live in a, in a day and age where health food within the stores are more available and taste better and better. Like back in the day, you know, carob-coated rice cakes were horrible, but that was the only treat I had, where now we have extraordinary raw pies and cakes and delicious things being available to us every single day and more and more available 
availability in these great resting bowls like meals that heal and summing meals that heal, where you can you can within five ingredients in ten minutes make yourself something absolutely delicious. All right. Now, most people that we talk to that go through, you know, and, and everyone that we have talked to that is successful has gone through uh, a catharsis, a, 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 a crisis of some kind where they have been able to overcome it, and it has triggered their path in life. Uh, so a Joan Borisenko tells us that she switches from being a, a, a biologist in a laboratory looking at, you know, cells to caring about a whole human being and and the whole field of psychoneuroimmunology, mind-body wellness, because her father gets cancer and she sees how he's treated and and she knows it that it it should be different than that. And so her entire career shifts as a result of something. You're patterned, if you will, by, you know, your early diet early needs uh, by way of diet and and what your mother has done but everyone up to now has also shared with us uh, a spiritual component that was a part of that how does spirituality enter into your life or does it spirituality is a big part of my life I, I feel my yoga practice and my meditative practice absolutely connects me to a higher source and when I've come across some very challenging things in my life. For instance, when I nearly died of, of food poisoning in Thailand, um, it was those moments where I looked up and said, God, I need you. Like, please, would you be there for me? Um, can you please steer me through this mire that I'm in and help me get to solid ground? Um, it's just so helpful knowing that I'm not alone. And, and I want people to Keep that in mind. Like I, I have in my emotional healing chapter within my new book, Swimming Heals the Heal, I speak to the importance of meditation. When you close your eyes and imagine um, a person who you see as a great mentor, whether it be a teacher or a spiritual leader or someone in your life who's, who gives you great solace, and really see the cord connecting and really being able to pull from that um, that protection, that wisdom, that love is, is such an incredible tool uh, to get you through those dark hours. Because that, that's the hardest thing with emotional eating is, is most people with emotional eating disorders, we have something called nocturnal eating disorder where you eat most of your calories, like 60, 70% of your calories after 7 p.m. So you're an angel all day. You're on a strict so-called diet all day, right, eating tofu and broccoli, and then you fall off the wagon around 7 p.m., and all through the night you're binging, or until late into the evening you're binging. And that's why I find spirituality is so important, that we can tap into something so that you don't feel that loneliness or that despair that often creeps in in the night hours. Um, then people can really have that um, sense of community even when they are alone. The researcher in me has to ask this question. I'll tell you why. I'll just share it with you. Uh, the, all the evidence is showing now in a week with functional magnetic resonance imaging, you can watch the brain lifetime, and all of a sudden we have a whole new theater of opportunity through which we can see how the brain works and, and look at pre- and post-evaluations uh, of brain changes. And and uh, religious practices, meditation, case in point, uh, 
do change the brain fundamentally over time. And one of the areas it gets changed that uh, is the frontal lobe. And yeah. um, not only is the frontal lobe important in, you know, um, recognition right now, thinking, reasoning, and short-term memory, but uh, it, it also is uh, particularly important when it comes to uh, restricting your activity, impulse control, if you will. So uh, it seems to me that if if all these successful people are incorporating spiritual religious practices in their life, that it's there's a likelihood that maybe they're actually changing fundamentally changing their brain. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Yes, I, I certainly have uh, explored. Uh, you know, one of my great, uh, one of the great wisdom leaders for me is is the Dalai Lama, and and they've wired up his brain, and seeing yes. that his front left lobe is is overdeveloped to the point where they consider him one of the happiest people in the world, <laughs> which makes so much sense to me. Um, and and to think that 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 this man has gone through. A genocide of his own country, being kicked out of his own country, is in service of, to others 90% of his life. Every minute of every day, he's pulled upon and requested of, and yet this man has been wired up, and they discover that his brain is hardwired for happiness. It says so much about these practices and what they can do for people. So, so it's so cool to see that science is starting to back up uh, what we've seen uh, to be true within thousands of years of our history. And I just want to uh, second it with food and say we are now see, starting to see a massive connection between the food choices we make and our positive mind space. And one of the biggest reasons for that is that our gut, uh, you know, 70% of our nervous system gets wired in um, to our gut lining. There's such a massive connection between our nervous system and there's a second brain that occurs right in our gut, and that is why uh, whatever we eat massively affects our mood immediately. Um, a huge, uh, a huge example of that is the bacteria that we have in our gut lining. The billions and trillions and trillions of good bacteria or negative bacteria that live in our gut respond directly to the foods that we eat. So when we eat piles and piles of good bacteria, like Lactobacillus, Acidophilus, and Bifidus, and all those good things. Uh, it's now scientifically proven, there's a great study out of the University of McMaster here in Canada, that we actually reduce anxiety in mice. And we can extrapolate that that's also happening in human beings. That we calm down, we feel we can cope with more when we have a, a surge of good bacteria. And we get that good bacteria from our, our, our wonderful cultured veggies, our sauerkraut, our, our pickled beets, our, our beautiful naturally fermented foods are one of the great ways to boost our mood. Um, and also, if you tolerate yogurt, that, that works. But if you're not a good person with dairy, having the same culture made on, on things like uh, coconut milk work incredibly effectively. So I just want everyone to keep in mind that you know a happy tummy is a happy brain. That's a fact. Uh, all right. I, you know, when you think of yourself uh, today... Uh, how do you describe yourself and your life's goals and ambitions? Uh, have you made it, Julie? You pat yourself on the back and say, I'm finally here? Uh, you know, describe yourself to us. <laughs> I really feel that I'm a base camp. You know, like I've hiked in. 
but I'm certainly not summited, <laughs> not summited yet. You know, I, I'm so lucky to have been on Dr. Oz, and I'm so lucky to have had my own TV show. But, but truly, I don't feel that the journey is even close to being at where I know it can be. Um, and, and I really like it there. Like, like a lot of people um, ask me what, what the point of all of this is, and it's purely to share. The only reason why I like having more friends on Facebook is, is an opportunity to have a greater, uh, I, I love the saying, rising tides raises all boats. And that's what I'm so excited about in this next phase of my journey, is as we, as we all connect the dots, the social media takes off, we can, we can actually rise, we can raise the vibration of the planet together. And, and that's why I really feel like I'm only at base camp, because we, we still have too many of our brothers and sisters in pain. We have too many of our brothers and sisters in agony emotionally. And we can't leave these people behind. So when we have a groundswell and a tipping point where most people are in a great mood and most people are off anti-inflammatories and most people are off the, the depressive, the antidepressant drugs, then I'll feel that we're summiting. But until that time, we, we have uh, so much to share, so much to, um, to inspire that you can have a different life. Um, and, and I'm living proof, guys. Like I've gone from misery, pain, sadness, my bowels falling apart, my muscles aching, to, to having this, this joyous vitality where I can't wait to get out of bed and share it with the world. And you bring a lot of energy, and I'm listening to a lot of energy. But, you know, was there ever a point when, you know, you you maybe just thought, ah, you know, I'm not going to be able to do this. I, you know, I there are too many obstacles in front of me. Uh, you know, you you mentioned that you saw a therapist earlier. Did, did that therapist help you correct uh, your view about yourself? You know, what was the magic turning point in your life? Or was there ever such a thing as a dark spot? We have a break coming up, and when we come back, we're going to pick it up right there. Was there Great. a dark spot in your life, and uh, and how did you overcome it if there was? Uh, I thank you all for joining us today. If you're not already in our chat room, Ravinder is going to whoop me if you don't get there real soon. <laughs> so now's a great time to join her there. We have a movie for you during the break featuring uh, Julie Danluck, our, our guest today. And it's a, it's a great one. You're going to want to see it. So be sure to go to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat and choose the chat room button near the top of the page. We'll be right back after... Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. And welcome back. If you're just joining us, we're uh, chatting with Julie Daniluk about her books, Life and Work. But before we get back to the show, I want to invite you to join me on Facebook. I post regularly everything from where I am and what's on next to the latest in science, technology, and consciousness studies and from time to time, some of my own opinions about the world we live in. And I love your comments and feedback, and Facebook is a great place for that. All right, back to the show. Before the break, Julie, I promised that I was going to ask you about the dark spot in your history. Is there such a thing? Was there a time or place? Oh, wait a minute before you answer that. Ravinder is flagging me here. For all of you listening out there, 
Julie is in our chat room while she has this conversation on the air. So she's actually answering questions in the chat room for people. We're so getting personal advice here. Yeah, don't miss out. Go, you know, get into that <laughs> chat room. All right. Dark spot. Was there yeah. such a thing, Julie? There's absolutely the dark night of the soul. And I do feel that it is a catalyst for us to find our greatness. So for anyone who feels that they're approaching the dark night of the soul or they're in the dark night of the soul, I want to give you that, uh, you know, moment of recognition of what it really is and the fact that with every breakdown comes a breakthrough. And as I was able to move out of that dark black spot, my dark my black spot really happened when I came back from Thailand. I, I was doing a, a, a bit of a, a, you know, the year out that people often do where you're finished university and you want to explore the world. And I headed off to Australia and New Zealand and was entering into Thailand and having the best time ever. I was on this tidy little remote island with beautiful views. And it was so quiet at night because they ran everything off generators. So when the generators kicked out, um, it was silent. But what I didn't realize is that the generators actually kept the food cold. So everything was freezing and thawing and freezing and thawing, which unfortunately caused a massive bacterial outbreak in, in the food. And I ended up eating a really delicious pad thai that had a horrible amount of bacteria growing in it um, from either the chicken or the, shell, or the shellfish. I'm not sure because it was both in there. And within six hours, I was paralyzed. I was laying in bed. I was I was losing fluid out of every part of me. I'll just leave it there. And I could not believe that I may not have made it out. Like I had this moment of, what if nobody gets me? And thank goodness, um, I, I did have a friend who, who was able to pick me up and carry me on an ATV vehicle to a nursing station and pump me full of antibiotics to save my life. And as I was laying there with the antibiotics, which I dreaded, pumping into my veins, I had this moment of, I really could have died here. And I ended up with horrible post-infectious colitis, where my entire gut felt shredded. And through that, I ended up with something called leaky gut syndrome, which really causes severe depression, um, fibromyalgia, pain in my muscles, arthritic symptoms in my joints. I was a mess. And I was very lucky to meet a man, the man of my dreams, my husband at the time, who, you know, faced me in this dark night of the soul and held my hair back as I was violently ill month after month. I wasn't getting better. And he shook me and he said, what are you going to do to, to heal? What are you willing to do to heal? And that was that, was that point. That was the, I am willing to do absolutely anything in my power to heal. I loved him very much, and I, I, I saw that I was becoming a 60-year-old woman, and I was only in a 30-year-old body. And I had to change. I had to shift how I was operating. And I made a pact with myself in that moment, a pact with God, that I would do everything and anything in my power to heal. And I started to write down every food that was triggering me. If, if I had a bad day, everything that was bothering me would go on a list, and that became the red list. And everything that was healing me, everything that was soothing me, everything that made me feel better went on the green list. And I developed my own my own 
anti-inflammatory chart. The, the safe list that was helping me, the red list that was harming me, and it grew and it grew. And I went from a few pages to a 400-page book over five years. And at the year two mark, I really would say I was 100% remission. I was completely healed of ulcerative colitis, fibromyalgia, severe uh, sadness, unbelievable arthritic pain. Um, so I have absolutely had that dark side of soul, and I can tell you, yeah. on the other side of it, I feel so alive, so thrilled with my life that I just want everyone to know that they can get to the other side. That there is absolutely a silver lining in what you're, you're coping with, and the silver lining is that. You will know how low you are and be willing to climb out of anywhere. And the last point around that is that it is really not a bad thing to have your body crisis at 30. Because unfortunately, some people don't get a wake-up call until they're 65 or 70. And at that point, it's really hard to turn it around. So if you're, if you're dealing with whatever crisis, please believe that it, I don't care how old you are. Because I have people who contact me and, and they're, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s. You can absolutely heal at any point. There is a spontaneous healing that's possible for you. And it's first get your mind on board with the work that you do, the exceptional work of reprogramming your body through these positive affirmations, through uh, beautiful hypnosis. All of that is extremely important. Get your mind on board. And once it's on board, your body will follow. And once it's on board, then you can cope with shifting to the anti-inflammatory foods and really embracing those things you need to heal. Now, the 400 pages, that actually led to your book, Meals That Heal Inflammation. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, and it's a great book, and I don't think we've really mentioned that title. But, you know, for everybody out there, the book that we're really talking about is Meals That Heal Inflammation, Embrace Healthy Living and Eliminate Pain One Meal at a Time. All right. Um, I, I, I had to make sure I got that in there. Tell me this. Here's the guy, you know, and he's got the courage and the love to take a hold of you and give you what you need. How did you meet this fellow? Tell us about your personal relationship. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm so lucky. I met him at an environmental film festival, and he uh, was serving the organic fair trade coffee, and I was flipping the organic hemp pancakes. And uh, I just looked into his eyes, and I don't even like coffee, um, but I, I, I thought, I'll drink mud to talk to you. <laughs> like, it was instantaneous. It was so amazing. Uh, and I'm just so lucky. I mean, he's, he's kind. He's loving. He's, he's truly the rock that I build my life on. And I really see that you have a relationship like that. I know that... Um, when, when you find true love, it, it, it's really so, so, uh, it's so delightful to have a friend that you can share anything with, but that you're also truly in love with. So I, I, I really, I, I wish that for everyone, that we are all able to find uh, such a good match. I, I totally concur. You know, with my <laughs> wife, it's a bit of a sporting match from time to time. Because <laughs> no. you're so smart, you need that. <laughs> oh, oh, she, no, she, she he is, is the just, smart one. He is just winding you. He is the sweetest. I mean, he gets me anything. I, I only have to say, that looks good, and off he is getting it for me. 
Amazing. I love that. All right. Let's, let's, you know, I want to get into your material, but I've got, you know, a couple of more questions about your path because that is what we're looking at, how, you know, successful people face all these challenges. A lot of folks out there think that, well, once you get there, you walk on water. You know, your life has to be perfect. You know, you, uh, you, you never get sick, you know, and, and all that other stuff. And so what we're trying to do as much with this show is is invite everyone, wherever they are in their life, to realize that it can be from the armpit that you start all over again from, you know, the worst possible kinds of situations like what you just described. So let me ask you this, Judy. What would you do differently if you had it all over to do again? If you had it to do all over again. I would listen. Sorry? Sorry? No, I say go. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Okay. I just, the only thing that I regret is that I didn't listen to the whispers. Instead, I had to listen screens of illness. So the whispers were the fact that I had very poor digestive juices. The whispers were the fact that um, having bulimia weakened my digestive lining. Um, the whispers were that um, I, I never completely balanced my digestive flora. So when I landed into a third world country, um, you know, other people who ate that same pad thai that night, they, they had terrible digestive problems but it didn't cause ulcerative colitis for them. They didn't have a near-death experience with food poisoning where they were, you know, running 105-degree fever and hallucinating. So I really see that your um, terrain really makes up such a huge part of it. And I wish I I had known that earlier, and I wish I really understood that the microflora within my gut lining played a massive role in my happiness. Because I think if I understood that in my teens, then I would not have had the same uh, acting out with food. I wouldn't have been um, really rebellious quite the same way. But you know what? I have the only the only reason why I say can I really regret? Because having that crisis led me to the point where I became a true expert in the field of of inflammation, and and I wrote a book that would hopefully help other people climb out of the pain that they're in. So. Saying that, I'm I'm very grateful for my illness. I'm very grateful for uh, my battle scars because uh, you know I think there is something to be said about being a veteran of of your own health journey. Um, but I, I I just wish for other people out there, hey, please don't please don't let it get to a life threatening situation. Please listen to the small things. Listen to the little infections, whether it be a fungal infection you're experiencing or whether it be um, you know, a, a food allergy that causes sinusitis all the time. Please listen to those little symptoms so that you don't have a massive flare of inflammation in the future. You know, I do believe we teach what we want to learn. And and I do believe that we are going to learn it one way or another. We have initially a teacher that comes along. You call it a whisper. And pretty quick, we get a substitute teacher if we don't pay any attention. And those substitute teachers, they're killers. They're just killers. I totally agree. Let's do this, Julie. Let's start talking about your work, the the body of your work. So now look, what's the big deal about inflammation? And and, and why is that important? Well, inflammation is the background of every major disease state in the world. So... uh, you know, it's only been in the last 
decades that we started to understand that whether it's an itis, like arthritis, bursitis, cystitis, diverticulitis, all those itises that we experience, we can almost build a rap song from every itis that exists on the planet. All of those itises are kind of common inflammatory disease states because just by looking at the word, we know itis at the end means it's inflammatory. But we're now starting to discover that hidden inflammation uh, can crop up. We don't think of it as inflammation because there isn't pain associated with it. Um, the clogging of your arteries, clogging of the capillaries in the brain that cause uh, memory loss, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, all of those terrible diseases. We, even children, you know, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder has been linked to inflammation. Um, also depression very much linked to inflammation. So I really want people to move outside the standard, oh, I'm in pain, I must be inflamed. That's true, but also look deeper into any chronic disease state, and I'll show you a inflammatory link. Whether it be diabetes or whether it be cancer, there is a root cause that's inflammatory. So let's look at what those inflammatory causes are. If we can get to those, Please, that's yeah, what yeah. can help heal it. Do what are they? So the root causes of inflammation, are, I call the four eyes: injury. So we become injured by um, by twisting our ankle, it, an infection. So I had a near death experience with bacteria in Thailand, where your gut is is inflamed by an infection, or an irritation caused by an inhaled toxin, say asbestos, causes severe lung inflammation. But beyond toxins, also consider a food or a pollen that your body sees as an irritant is a major irritation that can cause inflammation. So food allergies are a major trigger. Um, so irritation and the final one being imbalances, either nutritional imbalances, leaving you without an incredibly important building block to put your body back together again, or a hormonal imbalance that is often caused by um, any host of things, whether it be a stressor, which is often an emotional trauma or injury that we're experiencing. There's so many things around the hormonal piece that I link into the imbalances. So those are the four causes. And know that food can address all four causes, which is so cool. How does food address all four? And then how do you take, I mean, I'm looking at the four eyes, injury, infection, irritation, imbalances. I'm thinking of what you talked about. You know, let's just take... Uh, uh, cardiac disease. Uh, how does the four? How do one of these things fit into um, arteries uh, building plaque? Uh, flesh that out for me. That's a really great um, example. So the, the the piece with with heart disease is that um, it's an imbalance of our blood sugar. We now realize is one of the number one leading causes. So spiking your blood sugar over and over and over again causes these micro tears in your artery walls that your body needs to uh, actually taste up. It has to cope with that. So it spits out cholesterol as wallpaper paste to actually try to paste over the hole that you punch through with the sugars. So the sugars create uh, direct damage to the arteries. So the initial injury was caused by high blood sugar. So if we can look at that imbalance of high blood sugar and we can choose to reverse that damage, um, the injury to the blood vessel with 
very high nutrition. So we can put in things like magnesium. Uh, we can put in omega-3s, the good fats that help to um, thin out the blood and heal that injury site. Um, that, that is uh, one of the, the, the critical things, but we must address the root cause, which was we must balance our blood sugar so that we stop having the injury in the first place. So uh, blood sugar balancing is a huge part of my first book, Meals That Heal Inflammation, and my second book, Swimming Meals That Heal. I really encourage people to look at the glycemic index and understand that's a beautiful index created um, right here at the University of Toronto, and it's now worldwide. You can see glycemic indexes on the Internet very easily. But I have a five-page one in my book that really shows what foods are popping your blood sugar. If your blood sugar is running high, you've got inflammation raging through your body. That chart's also on your website, isn't it, Julie? Yes. Yeah, we have some amazing resources. I have one of the deepest glossaries of any nutritionist on the web, so I really encourage people to uh, check out juliedanlock.com. And if people are, are wanting to understand more about this um, and they're not quite ready to buy the book, I actually give away the anti-inflammatory passport free on my website at juliedanlock.com where you can download six pages of the anti-inflammatory pyramid um, and that's going to give you a real insight into the foods that are anti-inflammatory. That's Julie Daniluk, J-U-L-I-E-D-A-N-I-L-U-K.com. JulieDaniluk.com. And and I encourage you to go there. It is a very rich site, full of content. Okay, let me ask you this. You basically discussed how, um, you know, diets don't work uh, primarily because, you know, we have these uh, needs, these emotional needs. I guess that's a way to put it. Um, and, and that builds cravings and, you know, like that uh, uh, kettle on the stove, that pressure cooker, you know, sooner or later the heat builds up and, you know, powie, we give rise to, you know, allowing ourselves to... Ah, uh, what's one chocolate gonna do the harm, or some such thing of that nature? How did you go about repairing your emotional uh, needs uh, in in a framework that matched the, your physical de- your physical needs? I mean, your your emotional desires and your physical needs. How did you go about that? There had to be some kind of psychology involved in doing that. Was it just a matter of recognizing the quality of the food difference, or was it because it punished your body when you you ate the wrong things? All of the above. You, you raised such a great point. So, so first up, I just want to say that the biggest way to conquer cravings is to acknowledge that you have them and that it's okay to have them. So I want everyone to forgive themselves for being a human being. Let's face it, we went thousands of years of evolution being uh, people who were opportunistic because we had to be. We had food shortages all the time. And then all of a sudden, the last 60 years, we have no food shortages. So we've gone from this time of, like, feast and famine to having zero famine altogether. So, you know, it's not our fault that we're tempted by the most delicious food ever. So uh, first up is, okay, what can I directly substitute for a food that's going to harm me? So you recognize the foods that are harming you. And then we develop a, a substitution list. So that's a very practical tip, or what substitutes that will start to feed your soul, um, give you that satisfaction that you need, but also take care of your body long-term. I 
call it big fun and little fun. You know, the, the little fun is the five minutes of pleasure that the chocolate sits melting on your tongue. But the long-term fun is the 24 hours of pain-free living that we all really want, right? So we got to satisfy the little fun and the big fun. And that's why I try to provide really delicious treats that, that are worthwhile uh, making up and you can make under 20 minutes and keep in the freezer. So it's breaking case of cravings, right? They, they're always there for you or you can make things up that you carry around in your purse or hit a health food store. There's hundreds of new options that are totally safe and totally amazing. But the psychology piece is huge because for some people, the healthy version is not what they want. They actually want that thing that harms them. And I really ask you to sit with that, really sit with it and consider uh, the work of, of Freud. And he did a great deal of work on something called the death drive. And I cover the yeah, death drive so in my new book, Swimming Meals That Heal, where every part of every human being on this earth does go through these moments of wanting to play with death. You know, drive your car too fast, have risky sex, cliff dive, eat something that we know is like, you know, that double bacon cheeseburger with the large fry, even though we have heart disease. <laughs> All of those things have a similar root, which let's take a little bit of a step closer to death to feel more alive because we have a massive surge of adrenaline when we do that. So I just want everyone to just sit with that and really acknowledge what is the, what is at the root of their craving. And if they need help with that, know that I, I love doing the emotional coaching. Um, and, and your tools of self-hypnosis are extremely important. But we do have to get underneath that emotional eating point, that piece, because it is the crux that is crushing most people's efforts to get well. And so many people do brilliantly all day, as I mentioned. They're angels all day. And then at a certain point, their loneliness or their sadness or whatever they're coping with, gets the best of them, and boom, they're just jumping off the cliff into the Danishes, <laughs> right? It's really right. it's really an interesting one. And I've been right there, right there with you. I've, I've had those moments where that food craving is bigger than my desire to get well. The Thanato surge, and you're absolutely right about that. We all do experience that. Julie, I have to ask you a couple of quick ones here. We, we've got a break in... Well, we have a break in about 45 seconds, uh, so I suppose I'm going to stage these, and when we come back from the break, we'll talk about them. There's a lot of, you know, um, controversy out there, but conversation, more importantly, about uh, the advantages of being vegan or vegetarian, uh, a lot of cardiologists telling people to stay away from red meat. On the other hand, there are a lot of nutritionists uh you know, that are saying red meat contains essential minerals and uh, you can't, you know, it's crazy to stay away from red meat. And we have all these, you know, GMO concerns and now there's a Fukushima and the radioactivity that appears to be showing up on the coast, even though largely it's being denied or it's being placed somewhere other than the Japanese earthquake. When we come back, I want to pick up with some of that controversy real quick, like, all right? Okay. If uh, we hope you're enjoying our show today uh, with Julie Daniluk, and if you're not in our chat room, be sure you get over there right now. Our discussion with her about her approach to diet, health, and wellness is uh, a very important one. 
You can visit her website to learn more by, once again, going to juliedaniluk.com. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes and take your calls, so do please stay tuned. Close your eyes. Imagine your goals and dreams. What's preventing you from accomplishing them? Most often, we are our own worst enemies. I can't. I'm not good enough. It's time to reprogram that inner dialogue. Replace all those negative self-images with, I'm good. I am powerful. I can do anything. Eldon Taylor's InnerTalk patented subliminal technology does just that. Researched at numerous universities such as Stanford and by governments such as Mexico and Germany, InnerTalk has repeatedly been proven effective at changing your self-talk. Stop imagining your goals and make them a reality today. Visit www.innertalk.com. That's I-N-N-E-R-T-A-L-K dot com. Intertalk dot com. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. You can join in the conversation by calling 877 877- Two three zero three zero six two, and for our international callers, you can join us by dialing your country code and four two five six four four five six two zero. You can also participate by entering the chat room at eldentaylor.com forward slash chat. You can email Eldon from anywhere on the world by sending an email to Eldon at eldentaylor.com. Now back to the show. is mad. everything she does is magic by police and apparently there's a buffer problem so we'll just cut it short there why is that song so important to you everything she does is magic is is sort of my mojo song um i've i've loved sting forever and i do think he's such an inspiration that he gets healthier and more vital uh as he's aged um he embraced yoga very young um and i just love that song because every time i hear it i'm filled with this joy uh, and it makes me want to dance, which is one of my favorite activities for exercise. And I just think of, of the playfulness that Alan and I have together when I hear it. So it is, I think, my favorite song of all time. It's great. If you are uh, just joined us, we're speaking with Julie Daniluk about her books, Life and Work, and, of course, her three songs of life. And we just heard why everything she does is magic is one of those. I'd like to see you dance one of these days, lady. Uh, we will take your phone calls in this half hour. So if you have questions of our guest, either give us a call or submit your questions in our chat room. Ravinder and her team, Andrea and Jan, are there to put your questions forward. Okay, now, Julie... Uh, I, I set up this half hour with some controversial subjects that, you know, it just wouldn't be fair to have you on the air and, and not to address. Tell me first, what about, have you seen any radiation or any stories of radiation in Canada as a result uh, or for whatever reason, maybe as a result of the Fukushima 
Fukushima, I'll get it said, uh, earthquake? Yeah, I am very concerned about that. And I was just recently on the West Coast, and um, my sister's a uranium mining um, campaigner. She's uh, done extremely important work against uh, uranium mining and any sort of nuclear technology. And so she has her finger on the pulse of all that, and it's very disruptive. Uh, to the entire ecosystem down the West Coast, and we are seeing radiation that may be impacting the the fish, uh, the shellfish um, that that is being grown on the on the or, or being harvested out of the West Coast. So I just want people to start to be aware of that. Um, I personally stopped eating oysters from uh, the West Coast of Canada, which is a normal food source for me. Um, I'm just very concerned that we're going to see higher levels of radiation. And that really affects your thyroid first, guys. So um, I actually had a slow thyroid at one point in my life, and I never want to go back there. So for everyone who's concerned about their thyroid, please, um, you know, really look at safe seaweed um, sources from the east coast of, of, of the country. So looking to Maine, looking to the Maritimes of Canada, um, and starting to harvest seaweed from that side of the ocean uh, will give you much greater safety than uh, seaweed that's coming straight out of Japan. While you're on the subject now, you know, a lot of um, healthcare uh, professionals are suggesting that particularly cardiac care patients um, enjoy, you know, foods like salmon uh, more. Uh, what is, I mean, the omega groups that come from fish, whether it's salmon, tuna, etc., what, what are your what is your thought with regard to that? What I mean, should we be more cautious about that? Should we be, you know, avoiding certain kinds of uh, fish, not just shell uh, fish? I would I would love people to start to tune into um, the Sea Choice website um, that gives people um, an understanding of the most dangerous fish to be eating. We want to avoid all large fish, so large tuna, large tilefish, um, shark any of the um, uh, big, like the anything that lives for a long time, orange roughy, that sort of thing, very toxic because it bioaccumulates the mercury. We want to stick to very small swimmers. And, and luckily, a lot of these small swimmers are being harvested from waters that are far away from the Fukushima disaster. So sardines and herring and mackerel um, are still some of the safest foods that we could be eating, and they're very inexpensive and very get our hands on. Um, and also really do like essential fatty acids from fish because it has a higher level of something called eicosapentaenoic acid, which is extremely healing and anti-inflammatory. And we want to look to those small fish. So, uh, you know, really look for a good sardine, herring, mackerel, anchovy oil, and avoid the use of uh, larger fish, for sure. So you would... Um basically tell people to stay away from salmon. Well, salmon uh, was my go-to favorite fish. You may want to, for now, um, we don't know how the water is swirling. And we haven't got, I haven't got reports back from the Arctic, but Arctic char is and, and lake trout has a lot of the same properties as salmon. My only concern, concern about West Coast salmon is a lot of it comes out of British Columbia, and we are seeing radiation. Uh, issues coming back from the west coast of, of Canada now. And, and it breaks my heart know that, that one of my favorite companies is called Rain Coast, and, and it's a gorgeous cannery in the west coast. I don't want to 
turn people away from this. I just know that we have to be mindful of uh, getting the test back. So we want to write these companies, see what they're doing to test the products that they're that they're producing, and ensure that we we keep um, eating safe uh, seafood because seafood is extremely healing. Like salmon even has something in it called a special peptide that heals the bowel from from inflammatory bowel disease. So I don't want people to stop eating it. I just want them to have safe sources. Right, right. Well, there you know, Atlantic salmon is farm salmon, so yeah. any wild salmon is going to come from the West Coast. It's going to be a matter of, you know, is it going to come up from around Alaska or is it going to come off the, the coastline or, you know, are you going to catch it when it comes inland and runs I at think any the future, rate? Yeah. yeah, the future of fisheries will be well-sustainable, like well-sustained organic farms where um, there isn't any fungicides used. There isn't any soya pellets that are genetically modified used. Um, that we, we like. There's beautiful exam, uh, examples coming out of Scotland, where they're managing their fisher, fisheries in an extremely sustainable way. So I think that's coming. I think it's one of the most important things we can deal with in the next decade because we're running out of fish. Yeah, that would be a very good idea. But right now, farmed fish and wild, uh, the you know the taste, everything about them is entirely different. Let me yeah. ask you this: uh, vegetarianism, the vegan, you know, the whole this whole vegan movement. Uh, what's your take on physicians who are suggesting you stay away from red meat? Um, well, there all the studies that are coming out that saying that red meat reduces your lifespan for five years. All of that was done on processed meat. So we are seeing uh, a, a reduced lifespan if you're eating nitrate meat because that is cancer-causing. If you're grilling meat, then you're creating something called polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, which are extremely dangerous and cancer-causing. So if you're having the, the grill on high and you're getting the big black marks on your steak, yeah, that is really harmful. Um, is venison or ostrich meat that is cooked slowly in the oven or, uh, you know, cooked into a stew with really anti-inflammatory ingredients, is that really the problem? That's the question that I have because the longest living human beings on this planet do conceive, consume small amounts of animal protein about two to three times a week. Um, they, don't, they never over-consume it. They're not eating large portions. Always keep that portion to something smaller than what you can fit in the palm of your hand. And always have it be from a sustainable, healthy source because between the genetic modification of the feed, between the, the, the terrible antibiotics and hormones being injected into these animals, with the factory farming causes, causing terrible E. coli breakouts where ground meat is causing death across this country on a regular basis, I am absolutely dead set against standard um, factory farmed methods, absolutely. But the reason why, personally, I had to go to small amounts of animal protein is because because my bowel is so damaged with ulcerative colitis, I developed a complete tolerance to grains and to legumes and to, uh, to nuts. Like, I couldn't eat peanuts or almonds. So try to take that out of a vegan diet and see what's left. What was I supposed to live on? Like, I literally had chia seeds left and hemp seeds left. Well, I didn't want to become allergic to those by over-consuming them. So as a vegetarian, I actually went back to eating small amounts of these animal proteins to save my life, and I felt it was a massive part of my recovery. But the way I consume it is extremely kind to the earth and kind to my body. 
and I try to avoid grilling and, and avoid frying at all costs and move to water sauteing, you know, cooking with a lot of fluid, like creating a stew, um, you know, baking versus broiling, all of those methods that have the, the least impact, and I never consume nitrates, the antibiotic meats, any of those foods that I know would cause harm. So I really encourage people, uh, if, they, if they're grappling with that for themselves, You've got to put your life jacket on and eat what works in your body because I think there's 7 billion diets for 7 billion people. There's not vegan, vegetarianism, and paleolithic dieting. Right? There's so many options that will work for you. You're on a sliding scale, and you get to choose what works for you. You, uh, you touched on something that uh, is kind of close to home here. You know, my, uh, my beautiful bride was diagnosed with uh, rheumatoid arthritis a few years ago right after our well, her, our youngest son was born. The interesting thing is she had a craving uh, for chicken during our uh, her pregnancy with our oldest son, and she's a vegetarian, she's been, you know, strictly vegetarian. And uh, so one day, you know, this craving, she asked me if I would cook up a chicken, and so, you know, I did. <clears throat> I cooked her some chicken cacciatore. I thought it would last for two or three days. She ate it in one go. To make a long story short, she ate chicken during the pregnancy with our oldest son. Satisfied this craving. Then she went back to being strictly a vegetarian. Uh, when she was pregnant with our youngest son, she craved red meat. And she would tell you she didn't know what red meat tasted like. But for some reason, she craved it. But she wouldn't allow herself to satisfy that craving. Right after our youngest son was born, she was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. And, of course, like yourself, she isn't going to accept that. She's going to find a cure. And um, she worked with some, you know, uh, of the InterTalk programs that we have. And I think she'd tell you that they were beneficial, they were helpful. But the interesting thing to me was this. As she worked on this process and did her research, she came upon a remedy that was based on red meat. And when she finally said, okay, well, you know, the evidence on this looks pretty good. I'm going to try it. I mean, she talked to her physician, and he told her it was a joke, go away. But she tried it anyway. As soon as she did, the RA reversed. And that's been how many years ago now? Um, 13? 13, 14 years now. And, and, and they had her permanently crippled. Um, that was her diagnosis when, you know, when she was initially diagnosed. So it would seem to me that when you say, you know, we all have a different dietary need, you mean that very literally. We do all have a very diet, different dietary need. And sometimes the cravings that we have, well, they're not cravings for chocolate. They're actually the body telling us what we need. It did, have I got that right, or are you going to debunk that whole piece? No, I, the... I, I, I do agree with you. There's a difference between the emotional crazy cravings, you know, the ones that have you standing on the edge of your, your, uh, of your toes feeling like you're falling off a cliff. Have you ever had that feeling in front of chocolate ice cream? can't resist it, that's a very different feeling than, hmm, I'm really craving some red meat. But that sort of an intuition, I mean, she's, here she is, a vegan, a vegetarian. Why would she be having that sort of craving? That says to me that that, that was the body's cry for iron. That was the body's cry to, 
to to give her the manganese and all of those those minerals that would repair her her system. Um, so I think we have to listen to uh, the difference between intuition for food, which which is a little subtle, and the 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 loud screams of the of the uh, sugar cravings, which sugar gives us a direct beta endorphin release, so it's very easy to become addicted to that. Um, and I, I I know that uh, I can't believe we're running out of time because of course I want to I want to rattle off the, the the hundreds of of anti-inflammatory food choices, but I do hope that people trust that um, it is in meals that heal inflammation, and I'm, I'm so thrilled to to share more on both my Facebook site, which is Julie Dallas Nutrition, and on my website juliedallas.com. All right. Well, with the time that we do have left, Julie, um, what would you tell people? I mean, what are, what what should they have in their kitchen? What should they be preparing for meals? You know, what is what's just a basic way to change and begin to feed yourself nutritionally the way we should? Well, my my big point is heal the gut, and you'll heal the whole body. If we start with the gut lining, uh, in the case of rheumatoid arthritis. It's an autoimmune disease where the body is attacking its own joint tissue. And so if we move away from the major inflammatory triggers, which are wheat, dairy, sugar, potatoes, and corn, those are often the big white foods are are often the biggest triggers of pain. And we move to the foods that we know heal up the the joints, so oily fish and probiotic veggies, the, the sauerkraut, and bone broth. Or if you're vegetarian, then, then broth is made from the skins of wonderful veggies that are very healing. Embracing a lot of uh, mushrooms. Like one of my favorites is shiitake mushrooms. They're, they're rich in beta-glucans, this very important uh, immune balancer. Or if we reach for sesame seeds that contain plant sterols that turn off the inflammatory response against the joints. There's so many incredible foods out there. But the big thing is we remove the biggest damaging foods to the gut and we really switch off the pain and inflammation within the joints once the gut is able to heal up the the leaky, open um, holes that often occur from the damage, the dietary damage. And then we we really look at uh, giving us super nutrition, giving us so many nutrients that our body is able to pick those up and repair the joints, repair the arteries, repair the mind. And uh, that's where we pull out those superfoods. And, and, of course, topping the list is those cruciferous veggies, our beautiful kale, collards, the, the kohlrabi, our cauliflower, broccoli, rapini, all of those dark, dark leafy greens. They're absolutely brilliant um, because they detox the liver and they have anti-inflammatory phytonutrients within them, like indole-3-carbinol, for instance that powerfully switch off inflammation. Boom, done. And we want to get the, the, the volume of vegetation up. So I want people to move from the standard two or three or four a day to eating seven to ten veggies every single day. And, and, and really, if you're, if you're not able to do that right away because some people find the roughage is too much for their stomach, I want you to puree it. I want you to... Uh, put it in a soup so it's super, super soft so it won't hurt your stomach. Add, add spices like ginger, cinnamon, things that soothe and relax the digestive system and help you absorb those nutrients well. And, and I really, I really want to uh, give you 
strong assurance that you will see amazing results because we have thousands of people giving us great testimonials. For everybody out there, listen, you know, if that was a too fast a list, you couldn't write it all down. I was watching my pretty bride take notes. Uh, Get the book, Meals That Heal Inflammation. It it is a great book. It's a great read, Uh, not just packed full of the information that Julie's sharing with you that you're going to want to follow up on, but it's also a great read. It's very well done. Listen, Julie, uh, Donna Gates was on the show not long ago, and she had a real heavy-duty emphasis on the importance of cultured foods. Uh, as far as Donna is concerned, you know, that's where it begins and it ends. Uh, you know, you, you share in common the sugar uh, taboo, but uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts on cultured foods? I absolutely love cultured foods. I, I think it's been a massive part of my healing, and I encourage everyone to learn how to use, um, how to make sauerkraut or, or fermented foods that are live. It's so much easier than you think it would be. You're basically grating carrots, beets, ginger, maybe some cabbage um, up on the counter, and you're adding um, a wonderful bacterial culture, just like making yogurt, and then you're letting it sit there, and, um, and, and it switches on all these wonderful digestive enzymes within the, the, the actual uh, product gets turned into this delicious pickle, and then we're consuming you know, anywhere between a tablespoon and, a, and to a quarter of a cup of that at a sitting. Um, and it just repopulates your gut with tons of these good bacteria, and that's going to repair the dietary damage. So I think that um, it is it's so fun and easy to do. But if you're, if you're concerned to do that, if you're a busy, busy person, know that live sauerkraut is available in all of the uh, health food stores across North America. But you want to look for something in your fridge because a lot of people will reach for um, a, a sauerkraut off the shelf, and unfortunately, they have to kill the bacteria in a high heat process to jar it, to put it on the shelf. So always reach for it out of your fridge because that means it's a live product, very similar to yogurt, will have those good bacteria that your body needs. I actually introduced my wife to sauerkraut and wieners not long ago. And, you know, live sauerkraut, it was, she thought it was crazy. Didn't, you know, what are you going to put with it? <laughs> and, and it was a wonderful meal. And, of course, the, the hot dog wasn't meat. It was a, a vegan hot dog. Yeah, a hot dog. But uh, it was a wonderful meal. And, and uh, now that becomes one of our favorites. Let me ask you this quickly because we are running out of time. There are some taboos. There are some non-negotiables, if you will, that you set out we just don't want. What are those? The biggest food, the most one of the most inflammatory foods in the world is deep-fried potato chips and deep-fried french fries. Because when you take a carbohydrate and you blast it into hot oil, you create a toxin called acrylamide, which is very inflammatory to the gut. And also the oxidized oil just really destroys your bowel lining. So I want people to really consider, what can I do to bake something instead of fry it? What can I do to dehydrate it instead of bake it? So if you can reach for kale chips is a great example of a delicious recipe. I have a new one in my new book and also a, a classic kale chip recipe in, in Meals That Heal Inflammation. Moving to dehydration so that you can have the crunch, you can have the satisfaction without the damage. Um, and then the second one would be please avoid the white, fluffy, 
voluminous, glutinous bread. Because gluten, um, within uh, grains, there's there's a, a protein called uh, the, the actual, uh, there's lectin, there's uh, the actual um, gluten within gluten itself. There, there is a real damaging effect to the bowel lining. And a lot of people are becoming very intolerant to these grains. So try it on for yourself. Like, don't believe me. Just try it on um, and see whether it works for you. But if you're someone in pain, especially joint pain, gut pain, please try on removing gluten foods out of your diet for a minimum of a month and then uh, seeing whether you're willing to take on another month and another month because I can't believe the difference that it makes. So those two big ones are big. And, of course, the refined flour, um, the refined white sugar, the corn syrup, the pop, those are, are, are some of the ones that are really doing incredible damage. And not to forget um, artificial sweeteners. People think that, that Splenda was an answer. It's actually chlorine attached to a sugar molecule. And they now see that it dramatically reduces the good bacteria in your bowel line. So please only reach for natural sweeteners. Um, if you want a calorie-free sweetener, something like stevia. If you want to move into healthier sweeteners, one of the best ones for your gut is raw honey. Raw honey. All right, Julie, in 30 seconds, give everybody the name of your book, how they can reach out and, and contact you, your website again. Pretty please. So my books are Meals That Heal Inflammation and Slimming Meals That Heal Inflammation is coming up. My website is juliedanilak.com. That's Julie, J-U-L-I-E. Danilak is D-A-N-I-L-U-K.com. Make sure to download that six-page anti-inflammatory passport. Also, hit my Facebook page to get a great video on how to really shop gluten-free. That's Julie Danlick Nutrition on Facebook. I'm also Julie Danlick on Facebook, on Twitter and on Instagram, my new favorite All thing. Right. And we're out of time. Thank, thank you, Julie. You. We've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank our guest and all of you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show. We'll join us again next week, same time and same place. And do tell your friends. All right, as I like to say every week, until next time, believing in yourself always matters. Remember that. Take it to the bank. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com.